Welcome to Native Yoga Toddcast. So happy you are here. My goal with this channel is to bring inspirational speakers to the mic in the field of yoga, massage, body work, and beyond. Follow us at Native Yoga and check us out at nativeyogacenter.com. All right, let's begin. Welcome to Native Yoga Toddcast. If you're a first-time listener, I'm so excited to have you join in. If you're a return listener, uh, this is just a huge honor to have you uh, consistently come back show by show. Thanks so much today. Wow, Elena Brower. I can't believe it. I'm actually getting some incredible <laughs> people to come onto this show. I feel so excited and honored. She's somebody who I've been watching for years and years, and I've just always respected uh, her message, the way she presents information, her ability to just like really pull it into the moment and just speak from the heart. Uh, I felt it right away when I got on the conversation with her through to the end. It went by so fast. This might have been the fastest hour I've ever had with someone uh, on a podcast before. Literally, I was just like, it's already time. I can't believe it. So anywho, I'm so excited that you're here. Let's go ahead and get started. It's a huge honor for me to have the chance to speak with Elena Brower. And Elena, thank you so much for taking time to join me here for a podcast session how are you doing? But, How are you doing today? I'm super today. Yeah. Uh, about to take a trip with my child who is not a child anymore. <laughs> We're going on our first like mother and son trip since I don't know, five years, six years. Oh wow. And he's a fully formed man who's much taller than I. <laughs> and I'm really looking forward to this time away. I've been um gearing up for uh walking away from pretty much everything so that I could just drink in this moment with him. Oh, how old is he? Do you mind me asking? I don't mind. He's almost 17. Wow. My son is the same age. He'll be 17 yeah. in July. When is your son's birthday? October. It's what, crazy. What what day in October? Do you mind me? I got to, I'm curious. No, it's the 5th. The cool. 5th. And I'm the 13th actually. Oh, cool. I'm the 30th. That's why I wanted to ask. I thought maybe I'm we'll like have the same day. Oh, nice. And my my favorite ex boyfriend's mom, with whom I'm so like, <laughs> also the thirtieth. Wonderful cool. ex boyfriend moms are awesome. <laughs> Marlo, she and I are still like thickest thieves. Oh, that's amazing. Very cool. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just so excited to have a chance to speak with you because you you're so active in the yoga community and you've been at it for a long time. So I feel you know privileged to have this chance. Can you, um, I'm excited to check out your new book you had just mentioned to me and I, you had said that, uh, can you tell me the title again? Softening Time. Softening Time by Elena Brower. Yes. Can you tell me how this book came about? Yes, it's, it's slightly autobiographical. It's slightly instructive. Um, it's I, poems I've been writing since I was like 10. Wow. Mm, we pulled it together. My dear former assistant, Jenny, who was my assistant until I left New York, my only one and only ever assistant. <laughs> that was all. That was the one round I got. He's so wonderful. We just had tea, virtual tea on Sunday. 
long day. And she took all of my journals in like three boxes, three cartons, compiled, typed out, pulled the things that she thought were relevant for now. She pulled such good stuff. And then I took that pile, which was like a pile of pages like this over the last, I don't know, five years. And just like combed through, culled out the ones that I thought would be good. And then just got to work about two years ago in pulling it all together. Wow. As I was pulling it together, a lot of my friends, not all of them, I, I care about a lot more people than are in here, but a lot of the ones I, I, I'm very close with made it into this book um, with pieces for them. And so it's very, very personal. And one of my best friends wrote uh, a review for me and she said, it's so personal that it's universal. Mm, that's amazing. Yeah. That's kind of what it feels like. And um, it's reflective of a lot of work and thought. What a heart. great idea. And you, and you kept your journal since you were 10. I hear people actually do that. That's amazing. Mm. So <laughs> and now I've now I've thrown them out, but I did keep them for a long did, time. Did you really? After you did this, you just you didn't hold on to them. You just said I'm going to let them go now. You know, it's funny. We were just talking before we started this recording, but I've just taken the Buddhist precepts. And as you, the more you sit, the more hours you sit, the more sessions you sit, the more weeks you sit, months you sit. I swear. You read about it, you think, well, it can't be true. It's not true for me. And then one day, all of a sudden, it's like, I actually don't need any of this. Yeah. This is all part of like a personality attachment that I don't need. I am a work in progress. I'm constantly changing. The minute I think I've nailed myself, something else comes into my sphere and changes something. And so... Yeah, I just I let go of all of those things and it feels really good. Now the the whole world is open. I'm writing more. I feel the emptiness. This is talked about a lot in this tradition, Soto Zen. Form is emptiness, emptiness is form. Form is boundlessness, boundlessness is form. Form is not separate from boundlessness. Boundlessness is not separate from form. So it's I feel full <laughs> the yeah. more I let go of all that stuff that I thought was defining me and like mm. grounding me. That's amazing. I, I like how you, you also mentioned that it's so personal, it's universal and that fits really well in with what you're saying with the formless is the form. It seems that maybe you can start to see the universality of this personal experience that, that you're sharing is the poem too long for you to read to us now? Is it something that it's so long you'd have to abbreviate it? Or is there a section of that poem no, that you'd be willing can, to share I with us? This is, these are all, it's a whole collection of poems. So I can read a piece for you. That'd be great. Um, all right. You get to pick my mom or my sister. I'm going to go with mom. Great. <clears throat> now, this is also part of my healing from her passing this book. So she has several poems in here. This one is called library. It's not the saddest nor the most touching, but it's really, it, it, it welcomes me back into a very certain moment in time. I was probably for context, eighth grade, ninth grade. 
It's called library. When when she passed? No, when this poem was taking place. I got it. She passed about seven years ago. Got it. Eight years ago. Okay. Library. We walk in together holding hands until we don't. In front of us, the lady at the desk seems overly enthusiastic. To our right are all the children's stacks, books with letters too big and pictures too obvious. I've spent hours there, but I'm older now. We turn left instead. The metal shelves loom large, the ones for real people. Stairs, desks, books with no drawings whatsoever invite me to come nearer, promising their mysteriously rich abundance of information, escape hatches, treasures beyond my wildest dreams. My mom knows exactly what it all means and where she's going until she doesn't. Just before she heads toward the fiction buffet, I tip my chin up in the direction of the desk I'm choosing, to which she smiles her impossibly welcoming brown-eyed gleam that still comes to me in dreams. She strides away confidently. We trust each other here. This is our place together where we can safely, triumphantly separate. We claim our shared independence here, the only place where we can do that until years later, when we find ourselves sharing a cigarette on a porch at a spa in the sunshine, our second and final trip together. The joy of smoking, neatly lingering alongside the knowing that her days are numbered and I'll one day soon be motherless. But I digress. Sitting down at my chosen library desk to do homework feels like I've cracked the code on adulthood. She's all mine for a time, even though she's over there. Books are everywhere, worlds into which I can enter freely, neatly. I've got papers to write, but everything I need is nearby. It's here that I learned to synthesize, to cope with mountains of detailed information by selecting, prioritizing, hiding in my work like all the other adults do. Wow. <sighs> That's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank That's you. Really, that's really amazing. That's just one. Yeah. There are ones that are more specific to the moment of her passing, the moments before. Um, there's some real beauties about practice. Some gorgeous series of haiku. You know, slots in here. Do you think about that when you're hanging out with your son, that sort of reflection experience of knowing, like you, you may mention at one point that, or in there, that this is the second or close to the last time I hung out with her. Do you ever, yeah. when you're hanging out with your son, do you ever have this sort of reflections of like, if this was my last moment, if this was my last day, you know, am I here for him? And yeah, every morning when he comes in to say goodbye before he drives to school, I stand in the driveway, totally dork town. And I, like, <laughs> I curtsy. And I wish him well and I send him off and I, you know, surround him. <laughs> that, so, that, yeah. that, that reminds me of like that first time you pick your kid up from the, the school bus stop or something, you know, you're just like, or you drop them off. Like you just can't, can't believe they're actually big enough at this can't point. Believe they're, it. they're heading yeah. off to school. So you, you still kind of treat every day, even when he's taken off in his car, you're like, almost mm -hmm. like it's his first time going off. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I don't, I don't miss a moment. I missed a few when we lived in New York and I was traveling a lot. So for the last three, four years, I don't miss a moment. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. 
I hear you. That's amazing. And how old are your kids? My my son is sixteen, and my daughter's ten. Uh, my son's name is Ethan. My daughter's name is Priya. How beautiful! Thank you. Yeah. So nice. Thank you. She was. We were in India when she was conceived, so we thought she needs a she needs an India name. <laughs> of course. Yes. Um, and you made mention that if I or anybody listening or anywhere in the world wants to purchase that book, that if you buy two copies of the book, that I could automatically get entered into a writing workshop that involves you and four of your other favorite writers. It's a true story. I got the idea from <laughs> Bali, who wrote The Parenting Map, who's one of my really dearest friends and um, mentors wow. for a number of years now. And she also does that. I um, was inspired because now if somebody buys the book, shares it with a friend, both people are coming to this writing workshop as our guests, as my guests. So cool. Um, and I'm co-hosting four sessions with Tracy Stanley and Laura McCowan and Octavia Rahim and Danny Shapiro. So it's a badass group. Wow. And all of them have sort of different skill sets and are just extraordinary writers, thinkers, um, you know, real success stories in their own right. Amazing. I can't wait to do it. It sounds so good. Thank you for offering yeah, that to everyone. That's such a totally. great idea. How do you mind sharing how this event sort of like came into being? Did you at the time of publishing of the book think, let me reach out to these people or was it something that they had the idea and they reached out to you? How was the coordination of that? No, it's always just a little like burst of energy. Shafali was having me on her Instagram on my Instagram, rather, promoting her book, The Parenting Map. And she was doing a similar thing where if people buy two copies of her book, they are now coming to um, a parenting summit that she organized. Really beautiful, like yeah. crazy, awesome guests. I was like, hmm, this is a very good idea. And if you're listening or watching this podcast, you may not know this, but publishing is not what it used to be. There isn't so much um, support behind the launch of a book. The author really has to come up with ways to share the book broadly. Mm. So I was like, wow, that's a really, really nice idea. And I started to think, well, if I was to do something like this, what would I do? And I just gave it several days. And I just pictured myself with these four luminaries in my life who I love, who would say yes, you know? <laughs> yeah. And we organized the dates, you know, basically something like this. If you are watching and you're like, God, how do you put something like that together? It's, it's just a lot of email back and forth, a good solid Google doc, some organizational skills, and you've got it, you nice. know, and I have a person, um, my dear partner of the last almost 13 years, I think um, my digital collaborator, designer, artist, she and I, she's the only one I've ever had. And she and I really get on beautifully. We've actually never had a disagreement in all this time. And she designs the sort of page landing page, and you'll see it at elenabrower.com forward slash softening time, one word. 
you'll see what she designed and she just put, she just does such a good job it's such a I, I feel very fortunate to have somebody who can um take my a seed of an idea and make it visible mm. and real you know that's a it's a rare thing that's cool now that's the same assistant that you spoke about that you had one and only of or is these no no that she was really an assistant okay <laughs> all right she now lives back in Ireland. This person is like a partner to me. Got it. Got it. Yeah, she's really yeah. incredible. She and I have, we pull equal weight. And her um, her role in my life is not to be diminished. Like, it's very major, the way that we support each other. And I, I feel very lucky to have her. Her name is Michelle with two L's, Martello with two L's. And she's at Minima designs with an S at the end. And she does do private hour or so two hour consults where she'll look at your website. She'll go over all of the um, itinerant materials, courses, or whatever you feel like you want to be offering and give you some really solid um, insights into what could be improved, streamlined, transformed, evolved whatever the case she's quite quite good i'm gonna reach out to her i need that kind of help thank you i'm good I, I say her name whenever i can because so many people just need like one set of eyes on things yeah. to say you know you yeah. can stop doing that and you yeah. can take that material and put it into this and you know we we very often do double triple work sometimes yes when we've already done that work we've already written mm. that piece we've already yeah. thought about that yeah. flow of yeah. work yeah you know what yes I mean? yes a lot of what we do is just um enabling more efficiency in our workflows oh that's so cool you know i had the opportunity to have judith lassiter as a guest mm. here on this mm. podcast and she spoke so wonderfully of you and that's what got me inspired to, to reach out to you. And she was talking about a class you guys were teaching together centering around nonviolent communication. And I was wondering if you could share a little insight into what you've learned over the years in relation to fostering nonviolent communication. Yes. Uh, I cannot tell you how funny it is that for years I resisted this course because I didn't like the name of it. Mm. Who am I? Who do I think I am? And two or three years ago, Judith came to me and was like, I think we would do a really good job together. Would you like to teach this thing online together? I was like, yes, of course. Like, yes, yeah, yesterday. Right, right. Yes, of course. She's in my phone as mama. Um, and Lizzie, her daughter, I consider to be like this very distant soul sister. My, since my mom died, every time I get on a call with Judith on a video call, at the end of my mother's life, even though her whole life she had this big curly hair, after she had cancer and her hair grew back in, it was exactly like Judith's hair. The same color, bangs, color, everything. Straight, weird. So every time I see Judith, I'm just like, mm, my mom is here. And her name was also Judith. Oh. So she asked me to do this with her. And I said, of course. And basically, without I don't want to glamorize it because I'm basically the tech lackey. And Michelle and I, of whom I've just spoken, we organize the, to be fair, Michelle organizes all the Zooms. <laughs> we organize all the emails. 
I write all the materials, the copy, and we administer these virtual courses in NBC. And we only do it once a year. So the next one will be in September, October of 2024. Mm. So it's ways off, but 18 months or so away. What I have learned to answer your question finally, the first thing I've learned is to prioritize self-empathy, which sounded like a really good idea and even made its way into one book that I co-wrote with a friend of mine from Cornell called Better Apart that is uh, helping to revolutionize the way people see divorce. It's excellent. I'm very proud of that work. And Gabrielle Hartley, my co-author, is now releasing another book. Um, You know, if you're considering separation or divorce, just look up Better Apart. It's very good if you're listening to us. And... Self-empathy was in that book. And I was like, self-empathy. Sure. I think I know what that is. No. Self-empathy is like the most important practice. If we are ever, what I've learned from Judith, if we are ever to be able to offer anyone else empathy, I have to be able to sit here in the quiet of my own being and recognize what needs are not being met without placing blame, without trying to fix, without trying to solve just give those unmet needs my attention, my love until they soften. It's not to say I'm ignoring them. It's not to say I'm pushing them under the rug or not addressing them, but it's just to sort of smooth the edges out of everything. And the minute I can do that, I can look at other people, even the ones who, with whom I don't agree, even the ones with whom I have big, big misunderstandings, And I can see through the veil of the misunderstanding into their pain and their unmet needs. And that's when nonviolent communication can really take a hold. Mm. And if you're listening to this, Judith's book is called What We Say Matters. It's a wonderful book. I've also recently, inspired by all of this work, uh, interviewed for the Practice You podcast, Micah Salabarios, who's wonderful on NBC as well. And he and I had a terrific conversation, really rich, about this topic and how important it is and how um, how we can smooth over without, like I said, without ignoring or bypassing or shoving under the rug, we can smooth over so many interactions just by having empathy for ourselves and empathy for the other person. It's not draining us. It's not like we're giving away all of our you know what I mean? It's yep, just yep. sensing this person has unmet needs just like me. And our unmet needs are meeting in the field in front of us. And that's what's causing all the drama. And if I can see both of those things, I can see the person. Well said. It's nice. so cool. It is very cool. How have you been able to implement that in a teaching environment where if you hadn't come across that information, you think it could have gone horribly wrong? Like, have you had a situation recently where now that you know what you know and you're practicing these techniques and or, and I like the way you're making it kind of simple in that just do the the personal practice of developing self-empathy and then from there there's potential but can you give an example of a time where you think that if you 
hadn't learned this, maybe something would have gone awry. Well, as my dear teacher, Roshi Joan Halifax says, we, I am in a continuous mistake. I'm, <laughs> in, a, I'm in a continuous mistake. <laughs> um, a, and I have yeah. made mistakes in the past. I, in fact, uh, uh, almost 12, 12 years ago, the one big egregious mistake that I ever made was trying to sort of bend somebody who had been traumatized into feeling better. Mm before I really understood what this was about, before I really understood what trauma was about. And I really tried to apologize. Unfortunately, that was not what was wanted. The apology was not welcomed. But I can see now how, had I had NVC, had I had some um, trauma understanding, I would have been a lot less sort of forceful Mm. And more kind of, yes, okay, you get to be over there and having your experience rather than come here and let me help you feel better. Yeah, great answer. Yeah. Yeah, like strong arming. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not sort of making light of it. I, I feel deep remorse for this. And I really tried to apologize and, you know, make it clear that if I'd had that situation to do over again, I would do it very, very differently. But again, that wasn't what was wanted. Like the yeah. apology was not welcomed. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. you can only do your best. Yeah. And to answer your question specifically, since I started learning NVC, it's really quite rare that things escalate. I, in fact, since I've been working privately with Judith, things have not escalated to any degree that they used to. I, I I used to have such a volatile, temperamental uh, side, and that's gone. Mm. And it's gone for other reasons too, but NBC has most definitely helped to mitigate and dissipate that aspect of my personality. Very cool. Mm. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's quite my a kid benefits. That's, that's quite a transition. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, from volatility to non-escalated <laughs> involvement. No, very, very peaceful around here, you know, and, and, and that's, I, Judith is, Judith is my hero. Like I feel so, so, so lucky to be able to listen to her for 16 hours at a clip. Yeah. Give teachings on this most, most important uh, topic. Yeah. She is special for sure. How did you, Elena, what was your first entry into the world of yoga and meditation? I, I guess I'm, I'm guessing here that it was yoga first and then meditation came next. Was there, did you enter into the style that Judith teaches, which is more on the side of restorative? Or did you come in like guns ablazing, I want to tackle the yoga world type of approach? I took my first class in the early nineties. There was no yoga world to tackle. There was no thought to tackle. <laughs> understood. Understood. Yeah. I was in New York and I took a class and I loved it. And, and by comparison, I had been taking uh, ballet with one of the big deal Russian teachers at city center. And she was like a pile driver and it was not pleasant but I thought that was the only way to get like that sort of 
long length. And when I started taking yoga, I started to see, oh, I can actually be in a situation where I'm moving my body and it's actually supportive mm. emotionally, physically. So I stayed with that for some time. I met in 1997, I met Cindy Lee. <clears throat> Cindy Lee was teaching at a gym in New York that is no longer. And I took her class and she mentioned to me at the end of class that she was going to do a teacher training and would I like to join. And upon taking the questions home, I started like painting, sewing and collaging my answers which pointed to the fact that I was definitely interested and went into it. She actually returned to me my original application recently. That's so nice. Oh, wow. Um, so that I took my first training with her and she was, she is a Tibetan Buddhist. So at first I was like, Oh, I don't know about this. Mm. You know, it didn't, nothing was driving with yeah. me. Um, taught for her for a little while, parted ways, went to teach on my own, eventually opened up my own studio around 2002 and steeped myself in tantric teachings with male teachers for better or for worse. Um, and without really going too deeply there, it was <clears throat> a very thorough education also fraught with mishaps and continuous failures on all sides um, until I found restorative yoga, took some classes with Judith, then realized that upon moving out of New York to Santa Fe in the height of when everything started to shut down in 2020 in mid-March, found Upaya. Upaya, as the word is, but Roshi Joan calls it Upaya. So I have Upaya on the brain. Um, and here I am with a full circle back yes. to Buddhism. Yes. This is a, a Japanese tradition from the 1200s. Uh, Dogen <clears throat> went to China, studied with that whole lineage of teachers that, you know, started in around the seven, six, seven hundreds. And then this tradition at Upaya with Roshi Joan, Soto Zen is derived from Dogen's time in Japan. And weirdly, I'm actually going to go see that temple like in a few days. Wow. This coming weekend, actually. And I wow. could not be excited Whoa. to see it. You're getting ready to go to Japan in a few days? Yes, I'm taking oh, my man. son on a mother-son oh, adventure. Wow. I've always yes. wanted to go. That's so cool. Have you been there Principal before? Principal is not happy with me, I can tell you right now, but <laughs> yeah. I care very little because I just yeah. I just feel like this is so much more important than sitting in a classroom trying to remember, you know, categorizations of things. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Yes. It, yeah, that's so cool. That's going to be incredible. Mm -hmm. um, can you speak? Well, for, first question, I'm guessing if it's a Japanese style of meditation, so then would we classify this as a Mahayana practice versus a Theravada Buddhist tradition? It's a, a Mahayana-based practice. 
you can say that. Which texts, uh, are there certain texts that this particular tradition gravitates toward? Let's look at, if your listener is super interested, and I know you are, the things that I look to, mm-hmm. the Song of the Jewel Mirror Awareness, the Heart Sutra. Mm. Um, I really love the Platform Sutra, Huineng. That's one of the Chinese ancestors from the 700s. This one blows my mind. Um, and I also love reading, uh, Dogen wrote a book, a, 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 a piece, a fascicle. I think it's called a fascicle. So many different things. He was very prolific. But the Tenzo Kyokun, T-E-N-Z-O-K-Y-O-K-U-N. I believe Shambhala published the uh, Uchiyama Roshi translation interpretation of the Tenzo Kyokun. So it's called How to Cook Your Life Instructions for the Zen Cook. I think it's called. I like it. How to Cook Your about Life. Zen Kitchen. <laughs> yeah. so, something like this. Phenomenal. Like, uh, I, I just handed in a book that I'm going to publish with Shambhala called Come Home to Yourself. And I refer to many of these texts throughout. Um, Very there's cool. so much richness in yeah. so few yeah. words. Yeah. Like the Song of the Jewel Mirror Awareness is something we chant a couple times a week at Upaya uh, after the morning sit during liturgy. And it's like you know, a series of 50 lines, super short lines, and it says everything. Mm. Everything. Mm. So complications are auspicious. Do not resist them. Mm. Yeah, what that's else nice. Is there? Yeah, don't, don't. <laughs> and walk away and yeah. chill out for the rest of your life. You know, yes. it's given me a lot of, um, a lot to think about and a lot to drop. Like, Drop off all the books, let go of all the clothes, you know, really need most of that stuff. And as we were talking about earlier, the journals can go too. it's all, it's all persona. You know what I mean? I'm just like, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I just want to keep learning and sitting still. <laughs> That's it. I, Elena, the other day I read your Substack. you, you write you. and you'll, you'll, oh Yeah. Yeah, well, you do an amazing job. You know, you're a great writer, so it's it's a pleasure to read what you write. And um, you shared a story, and I guess I, so I'm, I'm learning more about you. Obviously, I'm get first time I get a chance to meet you, uh, so I'm sure there's a lot to learn. But I, from reading your Substack, you mentioned a situation where you it was like a religious holiday, and I could have sworn you said that I was with my mom. And I was in the temple or the synagogue and, and you, I talk about this a lot. You chose not to even write the word G O D out fully. You said G dash D. And cause I guess you were referencing from what I understood how Buddha never really answered the question, is there or isn't there a God? It just kind of kept it unanswered. And so I guess you were contemplating maybe the tradition you grew up with and how you're now transitioning <clears throat> toward having a different understanding of a relationship to the universe and a higher power. And uh, can you speak a little bit about that or can you clarify for me? Maybe I didn't so you're read not it. Jewish. <laughs> I'm not. 
Yes. I know this because the way that I was referencing God, which uh, for a good Jew, you don't write out G-O-D, you write Ah. G-D. And growing up Jewish, and I'm still very much considering myself Jewish, I was raised not to write out that word. And what I was referencing in the Substack, and I also talk about it in Come Home to Yourself, these moments that I remember sitting in temple with my mother, it was a reformed Jewish temple in Long Island, and every time the Shema was recited, both the Shema and then the um, the prayer about uh, the doorposts of your house and on your gates, she would be weeping. And then I would start crying because mm-hmm. we're human and we have mere neurons. And she's my mom. And every time I hear the Shema to this day, I cry. So it wasn't a Buddhist thing. I was referencing how I still have a hard time writing G-O-D, even typing G-O-D, because it's so ingrained in my body that I shouldn't. What I was writing in the, in the piece, I'm guessing that you saw, was it's so interesting. I resisted Buddhism for so long because there isn't a God in Buddhism. There isn't somebody you have to give it all over to. There isn't something you have to um, you know, trade. There's no transaction be good. And you'll get into his good graces. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's really, how much can you drop? How much can I sit still and literally do nothing? Let go of all of it. Drop it all. (sighs) Just drop it all. And there's no, you know, God looking over. And so I very gently find myself in the hands of both traditions and both make sense to me. Very cool. <clears throat> I, I agree with you. And I do recommend anyone listening to, to follow you on Substack because you, it's, it's, it's great chance to kind of see what you're writing about <laughs> short little writings. I'm my, my mom passed away just a little over a year ago and it was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think, when you're mentioning your mom, it's just so challenging. And um, in the process, I have a really good friend, uh, Sean Spencer, who I, I um, called him and he said, well, first of all, I'm training to be a death doula. And I was like, my head kind of, cause like, I know what a birth doula is and I'm a, like a death doula. <laughs> like <laughs> I hadn't heard that idea yet. And he's like, yeah, I actually go and help families just kind of, just get through the process and like, just be the mediator more or less. And he also recommended that I read a book called Die Wise by Stephen Jenkinson, which was Stephen Jenkinson is one of the best voices in this world for this wise. And also, uh, what's the more recent one? I'm blanking on the name. Hold on. Let me just find it. But by him or an author by him, dude, he is so heavy and good. I mean, I, that book, you know, was I, I started it while she was in hospice care, and then I finished it after she had passed. So, like, I think come I of really, age, come of age. I didn't know he had a new book out. I, I, I will definitely. No, 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 it. it's not new. It's oh, several new. years old, okay. but it's, um, it's coming of age, the case for elderhood mm. in a time of trouble. Mm. So, what this is is your sort of next step. Okay. You becoming the elder and he makes the case in this income of age he makes the case for how we have just 
tossed the whole concept of respect for the elders out the window. And if we don't start to bring that back, we're in deep, deep water. You yeah. know how we shove yeah. all the old people over there. Yeah. We don't oh, want to, we, some- we don't want to see it. It's too, we don't want to acknowledge death and therefore seeing elderly folks reminds us of it. So let's just put that somewhere where we don't see it, you know, just keep it tidy and neat. Yeah. Oh man, I, I highly recommend. I, you've already obviously read it. Anyone listening, though, if you can, if you can stomach die wise, and not that it's hard to stomach, but would you say, would you agree, Elena, that it's it's a deep one, like it's a powerful look at our existence and and what we're doing and how we're how how. how There's we- also a documentary that he made where he went through several different families. One in particular that stands out for me. I also don't want to forget Roshi Jones' book, Joan Halifax, Being with Dying. Mm. If you read I'll nothing else for the rest of this year, I promise you this is the one. Being with dying. And I right. just want to make us aware that we have 12 minutes. Oh, man, I should, I should have started writing all these book names down. I'll, I'll get a map from you after that. <laughs> all right, good. You'll, you can hear them in the recording. Um, but in the documentary that Stephen Jenkinson made, he walks through several families as one family and there's no right answer here. I'm not saying what's right. But he he gives us a look into this one family that gives birth to a, a little girl who has a very serious disease. And they keep her alive until she's like three. Mm. She really, I, I'm, I'm not saying this. The point is posited in the documentary that perhaps that was too long. Yeah. And the point is... <clears throat> We are using technology at times, not all the time, to extend life without respect for the natural cycle of death and for the for the beauty and poignancy and sanctity and timing of death. We have lost respect because we have all these technologies. You can plug people in. And it's yeah. fascinating. It's fascinating. You, you mentioned that you are undergoing death doula training currently. Am I right? I'm going to, I'm actually starting it. So I'm starting Buddhist chaplaincy training uh, early next year. And I'm also taking a gorgeous death doula training with my friend, Sierra Campbell, who has a company called Nurture. And if you go to nurture.co i believe i want to make sure i say this right because her work is about to explode and if you yeah nurture.co um her work is about to explode and i think she's going to be a real force and a a voice in this realm amazing i'll check it out thank you for recommending that as well what would you like to achieve and or do once you have this chaplaincy training and doula training combined, what is your vision? I, I just can see myself being among friends. We're all, you know, in our sort of forties, getting into fifties. Some of my friends are in their sixties, seventies, eighties. I have friends who are elders. I would like to be of service at the end of days. Mm. And I think I can do a pretty good job. I know that I was very um, honored to be there for my mother when she died. 
And I felt like, oh, it's so beautiful to be here innocently, just tapping into what is happening in my heart, what's alive for me, what's alive in the space, how's everybody doing? Be nice to be able to really tend to things the way that you were talking about your friend. Yeah. Uh, is tending to things yeah. in that time for folks. Yeah. It feels like a wonderful service to provide. I agree. For I agree. Well, that's cool, Elena. Thank you. I'm really glad you told me we had 12 minutes. Now we have six. Um, <laughs> time went by Sorry. way too fast. No. So on that note, how do I squeeze? What what do I squeeze out of you in the last few minutes that I have? <laughs> what what what's uh? What, what can I squeeze out? Um, I'm just sitting here looking at my yoga notebook. I do. Uh, yeah. It, might be worthwhile to bring it back to the beginning. I still teach after 12 years for glow.com. Okay. And I have uh, I have a special code for a week free. I have two live classes every week on Mondays and Saturdays in the mornings, uh, mountain time, mid-morning, Eastern time, afternoons, Europe, Europe time, UK time. And sometimes they'll air them for the morning in Australia as well, which is very sweet. I feel very much on purpose when I'm teaching yoga and I'm taking all of this sort of Zen um, learning and experience and infusing my yoga teaching with it. And it all feels very full and rich and true. Nice. And I think it's worth it to mention that. We, yeah, we can join you. You can. We can join you. So it's, you're, you're accessible to us. <laughs> it's on my Instagram. If you click on the LinkedIn profile, you can okay. go straight to, to the, to the offer that I have where you can get a week for free on glow. Okay. And um, it's so reasonably priced, you know, for the cost of, I think, two yoga classes, you can have unlimited time every month for a whole month uh, of Yoga Glow. And it's just, it's not just me either. So many great teachers are on there. Joe Testula and Annie Carpenter and Jason Crandall. I mean, some long time ago classes from Tiffany Cruikshank, T.S. Little, Mark Holtzman, all of whom are teachers and friends of mine. Wonderful. I appreciate mm -hmm. you mentioning. So you're in New Mexico currently. Correct. How, how has your transition been from New York life to the West? You know, I thought I was a New Yorker forever. Mm -hmm. I didn't, you know, when you're in that, at least when I was in that, I just couldn't even see I would, why would I move? And when we did, we thought it was temporary. And when we got here, we were like, no, 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 we're staying right here. This is so good. And it's just, uh, it's just so peaceful and productive in, in a different way. New York productive is like, go, 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 go. Keep going, go out, do this, get there, over there, take a taxi, an Uber, whoa. <laughs> and here productive is like, 
just going to lay over there for a couple minutes. Yeah. I'm going to read a couple books. I'm going to put my feet up on the wall. <laughs> and I'm knowing that I'm being very productive here. You know, <laughs> it's a totally different mindset. It's beautiful out there. I agree. Very beautiful. Amazing, Elena. Is it possible for the close of our podcast session for you to lead us through any sort of meditation, like really short one? Or is that, yeah. a, is that, is that a reasonable request? Yeah, let's do it. All right. I'm going to, I'll pull one of the haiku from here. Nice. Take some moments to um, just organize your seat. Organize the way that you're holding your spine. You can allow your eyes to close if that's it feels comfortable for you. Otherwise, you can keep your eyes open. Feel the weight of your sitting bones. Feel the ground beneath you. Feel the, your feet on the ground or your seat on the ground or on your chair. This is an excerpt from a poem called Tribute to Practice. Practice, holding no tension, expanding again, finally arriving at an agreement with myself. What if your practice is an art form, not a path, but an expression? And taking several deep breaths here, just allowing the inhalation and the exhalation to come to a place where they're about the same length. Nervous system gently slowing, settling. Softening. Continuing to place your attention on the breathing. The depth of the breath in the body. The body in space. The quality of your attention on your breathing. Lengthen your spine, last couple of breaths here. Spine is tall, strong, but flexible. Front body is soft, open, available. Thoughts coming and going, feelings coming and going. And your attention is gently resting on that which is unchanging within you.
final three breaths here. Can we bring your hands to prayer if you'd like a little yeah. maybe smile on your face. Yeah. Hmm. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you so Elena. Much, brother. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. <laughs> I don't think there's anything less left to say. <laughs> there never is. Really. There's no reason to add yeah. words after that, you know. I appreciate your time and your generous attention and uh really you have my respect. Well, thanks, Elena. Same here. This has been a real pleasure, and I hope I get a chance to um, meet you online, do your writing course, and stay in contact with you because I, I really have enjoyed this. So um, yeah. thank you. <laughs> Anything you need, let me know, and I'm happy to send you the digital <clears throat> copy of Softening Time, too, to thank you for having me okay. so generously. Appreciate it. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Bye. Native Yoga Toddcast is produced by myself. The theme music is dreamed up by Bryce Allen. If you like this show, let me know. If there's room for improvement, I want to hear that too. We are curious to know what you think and what you want more of what I can improve. And if you have ideas for future guests or topics, please send us your thoughts to info at Native Yoga Center. You can find us at nativeyogacenter.com. And hey, if you did like this episode, share it with your friends, rate it and review, and join us next time.